Hey, it's your host, Carter. I wanted to give you a little bit of a warning. Kids who are under the age of 13 might find some parts of our show a little bit scary, so listener discretion is advised. Now, enjoy the show. And of course, Poe's written and asked me for money again. Well, you cannot let your friend beg on the street. Tis not that. He wants advanced subscribers for that stylus magazine again. I might read a magazine. It doesn't exist yet, dear. And it may never. Oh. Hmm. A message, Dr. Snodgrass. I declare. Patients can never fall ill at a convenient hour. Let us see who it is tonight. Dear sir, this is a gentleman, uh, rather the worse for wear, at Ryan's Fourth Ward Poles, who goes under the cognomen of uh, Edgar A. Poe, and who appears in great distress. And he says he's acquainted with you, and I assure you, he is in need of immediate assistance. Yours in haste, Josiah W. Walker. Ready the carriage. I will travel to Gunner's Hall immediately. Gunner's Hall? A bar fight. Apparently, Poe is in town. Wait here just a moment. Poe! Poe! Dr. Snodgrass, uh, he's here. Good God, Poe, what are you wearing? And I said to him, "'Twas Reynolds. Give me Reynolds. My heavens, he's had the dickens taken out of him. A green bomb fluid, Doc. Why on earth have you left him lying on the ground? I didn't know how to move him. He's drunk, I dare say. It's worse than that. He'll need a hospital. My wife. My wife in Richmond. My wife. I must go to her. I love my dear immortal. I can write his wife. Uh, what's her name? Edgar is not married. In October of 1849, Edgar Allan Poe was found lying in the street outside a bar, wearing someone else's clothes, rambling incoherently, and unable to say what precisely had happened to him. He died four days later. No one knows what killed him. But given the circumstances, most people believe the writer was murdered. This is episode number 17 of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, and the first installment of Edgar Allan Poe. If you want to review an episode of Unsolved Murders or to hear our investigation into other cases, you can find them all on your favorite podcast directory. Don't forget to subscribe. You can also listen on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T.com. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. And now, back to the murder of Edgar Allan Poe. Poe's murder was a bit unusual for the time, as it didn't involve poison by arsenic or dueling, the two most common methods of murder in the 1800s. Besides, well, this is pretty sad, beating slaves to death. Mm, as you can imagine, people were getting away with murder left and right, since it was hard to prosecute dueling and slaves were considered property. Arsenic could be slipped into food and it was hard to track. But in the case of Edgar Allan Poe, they just couldn't find the killer. Or be certain of their method. Or positive about their motivation. Poe is one of the most famous writers of our time. And when you look at his work, it's not so surprising that his death was mysterious and marred with foul play. Known for works like The Raven, The Telltale Heart, and Murders on the Rue Morgue, Poe was a master of suspense and the father of the modern detective story. 
He was the king of tragedy, penning Annabelle Lee and the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. But tragedy wasn't confined to his work. It started in his life. A late daguerreotype of Poe shows a sad man worn down by life, unkempt curls, a moody droop in his left eye, and a mysterious mustache befitting a morbid alcoholic. But he wasn't always that way. See, his obituary and first biography were written by his literary rival, Rufus Griswold, who had it out for Poe ever since Edgar wrote a bad review of Griswold's work. An enemy taking advantage of an untimely death. You think Griswold was the killer? We'll get back to it, but Griswold was certainly guilty of character assassination. So now much of the public image of Edgar Allan Poe is actually slanderous libel. It's true. Edgar Allan Poe was athletic, happily married for many years, and allergic to alcohol. Not that it completely kept him from drinking. But he was also an orphan who exaggerated the truth and could never quite get out of debt. Poe was an enigma, which only makes his murder harder to solve. Edgar Allan Poe was born Edgar Poe to a pair of actors in Boston in 1809. It's clear where Edgar's creativity came from. His brother was a poet, his sister a writer, and Edgar both. He should have had a happy childhood, with the family encouraging his art, but alas, that was not the case. Both of Edgar's parents died before he was three. But in what seemed like a stroke of luck, Edgar was introduced to John and Francis Allen. Oh, John... Look at his bright gray eyes. Hello, little Edgar. I suppose he looks healthy. Hi. Would you like a lollipop? Lollipop. Here you are, doll. John, we must take him in. It's our Christian duty. And look at that face. Covered in snot and sugar. (laughs) You're right. He's in dire need of a bath. He's practically a baby. The answer to my prayers. Well, we can afford it. Fine. Oh, John, we have a family. Yes. John Allen was a wealthy New England businessman with an infertile wife. He agreed to foster Edgar, but not adopt him. The Allens made sure Edgar received a top-notch education, and young Edgar experienced life as a member of the upper class. And seriously upper class. The Allens were in the booming tobacco business and owned slaves. When business took John to England... Edgar was educated at prestigious boarding schools, where he played sports and wrote poetry. What are your intentions for Edgar's future? You'll go into business, uh, become a Virginia gentleman much like myself. (laughs) Noble aspirations. I ask because Edgar does not seem to share them. What do you mean? Is he not diligent in his studies? No, no, he is achieving excellent marks. But Edgar goes on and on about writing poetry. Yes. I found lines written on my ledger sheets. How droll. He's only 13. I'm sure the phase will pass. He speaks often of publishing his book. Have you any plans? Absolutely not, sir. Good. I would advise you against it. Beat some sense into the lad. Of course. Edgar Poe and John Allen clashed constantly. So much so that Edgar never signed his name Edgar Allan Poe, but Edgar A. Poe. And contrary to John's pressure, Edgar continued writing poetry throughout his teen years, especially when the family returned to Richmond, Virginia, where he found a new subject. His childhood sweetheart, Elmira Royster. 
that little time with lyre and rhyme to while away forbidden things my heart would feel to be a crime unless it trembled with the strings. That was beautiful. Mm. <laughs> Tis going in my book. And it is about me, so am I going in your book? Do you like that? Yes. Then yes. I will pine for you so. What if you stay? I will write you. And I'll be back in a few months. You promise? On my life. And on my book. <laughs> Maybe we could marry before you leave. I need to make something of myself so your father will approve. I do not give one care what my father thinks. We know we want to marry. I could gather my trousseau and we could marry in months. If you defer a semester. Just wait for me, darling. As you wish. We are nearly back to my home. I ought to say goodbye here. I will see you on the morrow. <laughs> uh, who have you been walking with? It is not your business, but Edgar Allan Poe. Poe? The orphan with a notebook? The Allens are very well respected in business. He's not really their son. Father will not be happy. Poe is below our station. You are slumming, Elmira. You are just jealous because no one wants to court you. At 17, Edgar enrolled in the University of Virginia, promising to marry Elmira soon, regardless of her family's disapproval. But while at university, Edgar found a new love, gambling. I see your wager and I raise you five. Raise you ten. All in. I will match. Let's see those hands, man. Damn! Once again, over-eager, Poe. I will win it back next week. Didn't you say that last week? <laughs> I will win it back. And that is why we adore playing with Poe. It'll happen before his lady friend writes him. Fiance. <laughs> I am sure she is very busy. Or letters have been lost by the post. For three months? Elmira loves me. I swear it. If she even exists. Oh. <laughs> the University of Virginia was toxic for Edgar. After a semester, he was eager to return to Richmond. School is fine. Thank you, John. It's wonderful that you're getting a quality education, Edgar. We're so proud of you. Yes, yes. Though you are spending a lot of money. Actually, I wanted to discuss that. I could use more. Of course. How much? $2,500. Heavens! What for? A few debts. Debts? Edgar, have you been gambling? We raised you better than that. I merely thought I could earn extra money to publish my poems and then pay for school on my own. You lost two thousand dollars of my money? Boy, you won't see a penny more than a cost of tuition. You ungrateful. How will I pay off my debts? That's your affair. I'm sure he will come around, Edgar. I do hope so, Mother. Excuse me, I need to talk to Elmira Royster. Oh, Edgar. I simply have one thing to say to her. Elmira. Oh, uh, hello, Edgar. How have you been, my darling? Busy, I presume. It's so good to see you. I've been well, thank you. Uh, but Edgar, I feel I ought to share some news with you. Yes, I've written several new poems. Uh, please do not touch me. Would you like a walk? Excuse me. Somewhere more private. Hello, Elmira. Oh, Edgar. Back from the University of Virginia? You should know that my daughter is engaged to Alexander Shelton. But Elmira and I... You know I never approved of your little marriage fantasy. Elmira, 
How about you introduce Edgar to Alexander? He is here somewhere. I am feeling quite faint. Elmira, will you give me even five minutes? After all we had, I wrote you. I never received a single letter. I must go. Please excuse me. I have told you once and I will tell you again. You and my daughter are not a suitable match. Understood? Mr. Royster, my intentions are pure. I love Elmira. She is engaged to another man. Understood? Understood, Mr. Royster. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. On Unsolved Murders, we explore the facts of real-life true crime cold cases. But if you're looking for more true crime cases with a bit of a twist, you should check out the ParCast original Female Criminals. When you think of a criminal, what do you picture? You picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. I bet you didn't think it could be the mother around the corner or the little old lady next door. Female Criminals investigates the lives of the world's most notorious female felons and explores the stories behind their dangerous crimes. These criminals come in every form, from serial killers and assassins to bank robbers and drug lords. Female Criminals is like a mystery and crime documentary rolled into one. New episodes premiere every Wednesday. Follow Female Criminals free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, let's continue the story. Heartbroken, Edgar turned his pain into poetry. His poem, Tamerlane, is most certainly inspired by his early lost love. Oh, she was worthy of all love. Love, as in infancy, was mine. T'was such an angel mine's above. Might envy her young heart the shrine. On which my every hope and thought were incense than a goodly gift. For they were childish and upright, pure as her young example taught. Why did I leave it, and adrift, trust to the fire within for light? Tamerlane and other poems became Edgar's first book. Which was published when he was only 18. But the book only got lukewarm reception. It sold maybe 50 copies. And then Edgar was kicked out of school for gambling away all of his tuition money. So Edgar needed a plan C. Eager to get out of John Allen's control, Edgar joined the military. And he did very well, achieving the rank of sergeant major in the artillery. One officer even described him as entirely good and free from drinking. And then Francis Allen died. To make matters worse, Edgar wasn't able to get home until the day after her funeral. John? Edgar? How long are you here? I have a week's furlough. Oh. Paid? Yes, John. I merely wish I had been here earlier. To watch her die. Boy, you did not want that. I am sorry that you lost her. She loved you. She wanted us to... Well, on her deathbed, she asked. She wrote me about it. Reconciling, I mean. What are your plans with the military, Sergeant? I am considering West Point for the rest of my contract. But I need a sponsor. Hmm. Would... I'll sponsor you. For Francis' sake. Thank you, John. Brought together by grief, Edgar and John reconciled, and Edgar, who was tired of military service, attended West Point. Edgar flourished at West Point. He was consistently top in his class, and he found time to make friends and write poetry. He published his second book, which, again, didn't make much money. In the meantime, John Allen fathered illegitimate children, married a woman 20 years younger than him, and sent Edgar a letter. Dear Edgar, 
I no longer wish to communicate with you, Edgar. You have taken my generosity and returned nothing but disappointment and embarrassment. From this point onwards, you are disowned. John Allen. Now, John Allen couldn't technically disown Edgar, since he had never officially adopted him, but he could, and did, cut him off. Edgar didn't take it lightly. John, I wish to withdraw from West Point. If I do not get your permission, I shall get myself expelled. Edgar A. Poe. And when the letter got no reply... Edgar went to work getting expelled. And he really went for it, earning 44 offenses and 106 demerits, mostly for skipping class and church. The icing on the cake was a story Edgar later told. I showed up for drills wearing a smile, a belt, and nothing else. They kicked me out promptly. It's unclear whether that really happened, or was it just another one of his excellent short stories? Poe was known to exaggerate the truth. Before leaving West Point, Poe convinced over a hundred other cadets to give him about $160, which he used to publish his next book, Poems, which he dedicated to the U.S. Corps of Cadets. And finally, Edgar set to work as a full-time writer. After West Point, Edgar moved into a small house in Baltimore with his biological family, a paralyzed grandmother, his sick brother Henry, his Aunt Maria Clem, and his nine-year-old cousin Virginia. It was a tough economic time. Poe's early literary career was sandwiched between the economic panic of 1819 and the economic panic of 1837. No one was spending money. A literal starving artist, Poe got into writing horror, suspense, and the grotesque, largely because Gothic literature was in at the time, and he thought it would have a better chance of selling. Also, Poe was obsessed with the morbid. He was, but poverty is a strong motivator. So is tragedy. Within months, Henry died of tuberculosis. So, Poe's now lost to death or severed ties, both parents, his childhood sweetheart, both foster parents, and the brother he was recently reunited with. And he wasn't even 23 yet. Sad and starving, Poe spent the next four years writing and submitting stories to contests and magazines with no luck. It got so bad that when submitting his story Epimana to N.E. Magazine in 1833, Poe closed the query with... P.S. I am poor. N.E. Magazine declined publishing Epimana. Mother, what's for dinner tonight? Likely bread and molasses. Oh, again? Hello, come in, come in, have a seat. I have simply come calling to say hello. Lovely to have you. Tea? Something to eat? Yes, please, and thank you. Edgar, find a snack to offer our guest. Of course. Uh, 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 Dickens! What's the matter, Edgar? Just looking for food to offer our guest, Virginia. Here we are. But that's grandmother's supper. No. Fine. Aha. And that's our supper. Bread and molasses again. No, no. Here, Virginia. Run out and buy some nice bread and jam. I'll brew tea. Why don't you run out and I'll brew tea? Fair enough. Wait, I've run out of money. Do you have any? Check behind the bricks for coins. I saw Grandmother put some there once. Nothing there. My mother's purse? Empty. What will you tell them? I heard a rumor of Edgar begging on the streets. Is it true? Can I help you? 
I'm sure the church... Nonsense, we are fine. So he's not been begging for money? Only to finance publishing a book, perhaps. Did you hear about Mary Hopkins? I'm sorry. I'm afraid we have no food to offer. Edgar! Unless you have a quarter in your pocket, Maria. Would you, fine lady, mayhaps be able to proffer a loan? Just until my next story gets published. Edgar, don't embarrass us. My apologies. Never mind. Eventually, poverty and persistence paid off. In 1833, Poe's story MS in a Bottle won him a $50 prize in addition to publication. In 1835, the recognition helped him get his first editing job for the Southern Literary Messenger. With some success, Poe could turn his mind to other pursuits. Virginia, remember when you used to deliver love letters between Mary Devereaux and myself? That was good fun. She liked you. Not much. She even gave me some of her hair for you. She snipped it right off. That's love. Only because I asked with a poem. Do not neglect keeping an eye on your music. I am. Love poems are the most beautiful thing in the world. You are the most beautiful thing in the world. The cosmos, the universe. That's not a bad start for a poem. Maybe more specific than thing. Perhaps commodity. Or paraphernalia or creature. Maiden. You are the most beautiful maiden. I suppose that would do. Virginia, it's not poetry. I meant it of you. For me? A love poem? Yes. For you. Edgar Allan Poe married his first cousin, Virginia, when she was 13 years old. He was 27. And while first cousins marrying wasn't uncommon and was actually legal until after the Civil War, their age gap was a source of gossip. So much so that on the marriage certificate, Virginia was listed as 21. But they still inspired gossip. Some said Edgar's aunt, Virginia's mother, didn't approve, and Edgar had to beg for Virginia's hand. Others said Maria Clem arranged the whole thing and that the two oddballs lived like brother and sister or cousin and cousin. But accounts from their friends and the evidence of their love letters and poetry suggest that they were essentially a normal couple, crazy about each other. Virginia slept with a portrait of Edgar under her pillow, and it's believed she inspired great poems like Eleonora and Lahia. What we can say for sure is that Edgar's cousin-wife-child bride made him very happy. With Edgar working as a magazine editor, things were really starting to turn up. Which was lucky since he promised his Aunt Maria that he would support her and Virginia financially upon his marriage. Poe, a word. It will cost you a penny if you want ten or more. Not for publication, you loafer. Well then? I'm afraid, Edgar, but I'm in the unfortunate position of having to fire you. Why? You know your behavior has been erratic. When can I expect to be back? Excuse me? Last time I was fired, you brought me back. That was different. You gave me the same reason, then hired me back for a year. I can only assume this is also temporary. No, Poe. This is final. But the magazine has grown under my editorship. From 700 subscribers to 5,500. It has grown from 1,000 to 3,500. Still an impressive jump. You need me. My work is valuable. Poe, tis the end of it. Please, not now. I have no savings. You'll find other work. I have a wife and aunt to support. I cannot lose this job. You should have thought of that before you engaged in erratic behavior. For 11 years, Poe managed to work consistently as a magazine editor. 
and was consistently fired, usually for personal differences, which Poe's nemesis, Rufus Griswold, described as coming to work drunk. But Griswold himself replaced Poe as editor of Graham's magazine, so it's clear why he wanted to make the guy who did his job before him look bad. After his first gig at the Southern Literary Messenger, Edgar worked for Gentleman's Magazine, The Sunday Times, The Evening Mirror, Graham's Magazine, and The Broadway Journal. Meanwhile, Poe's published stories and poems went underappreciated or were completely rejected. Included in these, Poe's only novel, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, published in 1838. It follows the adventures of a man who runs away to sea, battles barbarians and sea monsters, and at one point nearly starves to death at sea before his ship's crew turns to cannibalism, eating a sailor called Richard Parker. Mm, Sounds pretty dark. It's darker when you know about a true story that hit the news almost 50 years later in 1884. A yacht sailing from England to Australia got lost. Starving, the passengers ate a young man on board. His name was Richard Parker. Creepy. And that wasn't his only oddly coincidental tale. In 1840, Poe published a story called The Businessman, about a man who suffered a head injury as a child, and as a result lived his life with obsessive routine and frequent violent episodes. Eight years later, the case of Phineas Gage introduced frontal lobe syndrome to the medical community. Frontal lobe syndrome is brought on by a head injury when someone loses most of their frontal lobe but manages to survive. The condition didn't exist before modern medicine. No one was known to have survived losing that much brain before Phineas Gage. And every single symptom is listed in The Businessman. Sure, maybe Poe had met someone with frontal lobe syndrome, but surviving that kind of brain damage would have been major news, as it was for Phineas Gage. And lastly... Poe predicted other scientific discoveries in Eureka. This constitution has been affected by forcing the originally, and therefore normally, one into the abnormal condition of many. From the one particle as a center, let us suppose to be irradiated spherically, in all directions, to immeasurable but still to definite distances in the previously vacant space, a certain inexpressibly great, yet limited number of unimaginably, yet not infinitely, minute atoms. And that's a description of the ever-expanding universe from 1848. Scientists didn't even come up with this theory until 1927, and it took longer to prove it. How did Edgar know about the expanding universe in 1848? (laughs) Was he a time traveler? Or just highly imaginative? Whatever you believe, Poe's literary predictions of the future are pretty disturbing. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. And now, back to Unsolved Murders. Story after story, Poe failed to gain fame. That is, until Murders on the Rue Morgue. This was Poe's first story featuring C. Auguste Dupin, a creative cryptologist trying to solve a murder in Paris. So, a detective story. Yes, but it was before the word detective was invented. Poe loved cryptology and puzzles, and with this story, he was able to show his passion. And the public loved the story and its clever solution to a violent murder case. Poe wrote two more C. August Dupin stories and spawned thousands of imitators. Every Sherlock Holmes story, every Perot novel, Encyclopedia Brown book, 
all imitating murders on the Rue Morgue. But as Poe found modest success, other parts of his life began to fall apart. The public likes the gold bug so much that Dollar Newspaper is giving it a second printing. <coughs> Are they giving you a second hundred dollar prize too? No, but it is the notoriety that counts right now. My next work should publish for twice that. Oh, Edgar, <coughs> let's celebrate. Gentle waves upon the deep <coughs> murmur <coughs> soft winds out asleep. Little birds upon the tree sing their sweetest songs for thee. <coughs> Are you okay, dear one? Fine. <coughs> All things love thee. <coughs> so do I. All things love thee. <coughs> Virginia. All things love thee. Virginia. <coughs> Virginia, can you breathe? Aunt Maria! Aunt Maria! Virginia's choking on blood. At only 19, Virginia came down with tuberculosis, a nasty disease that had already killed both of Edgar's parents his foster mother, and his brother. Virginia lived with the illness for years, inspiring the sickly maiden who would die young in great works like The Raven and Annabel Lee. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee. By these angels he hath sent thee respite. Respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Speaking of the raven, it was an instant success. And while it's a great poem, it helped that Poe had gained fame as a writer and critic and had started giving lecture tours about poetry. Even though things were improving, Poe was still a far cry from being the J.K. Rowling of his time. He was more like your artsy friend who's constantly asking you to donate to their Kickstarter. Exactly. No longer begging for money for himself, Edgar continued to beg for money for his proposed literary magazine, first called The Pen and then The Stylus. But he wasn't exactly a safe investment. Even after the mass success of The Raven, within a year, Poe went from editor to owner of the Broadway Journal, and within the same year, under Poe's complete creative control, the journal went out of business. And Virginia got sicker. I know I shall die soon. I know I can't get well, but I want to be as happy as possible and make Edgar happy. In 1847, Virginia died from tuberculosis. Edgar just can't catch a break. The Griswold School of Biographers claim her death sent Poe into a deep despair, where he did nothing but drink and write morbid tales. Well, he did drink, writing to a friend. Each time I felt all the agonies of her death. And at each ascension of the disorder, I loved her more dearly and clung to her life with more desperate pertinacity. But I am constitutionally sensitive, nervous in a very unusual degree. I became insane with long intervals of horrible sanity. During these fits of absolute unconsciousness, I drank 
God only knows how often or how much. As a matter, of course, my enemies referred the insanity to the drink, rather than the drink to the insanity. But weren't most of his morbid tales already written? Mm, exactly. Though notably, Poe wrote Ula Loom during this time, and though it isn't officially clear what inspired it, the poem's narrator's longing for his dead lover points directly at Virginia. There were days when my heart was volcanic, as the Soriac rivers that roll, as the lavas that restlessly roll their sulfurous currents down Yannick in the ultimate climbs of the pole, that groan as they roll down Mount Yannick in the realms of the Boreal Pole. But Poe's insanity didn't last long. He continued writing briefly courted fellow poet Sarah Helen Whitman. Until she dumped him. And by the summer of 1849, was off on another lecture tour, discussing his criticism theories of poetry and trying to raise money for the stylus. And while in Richmond, he made a house call to an old acquaintance. A visitor, madam. A visitor? Who visits a widow unannounced? Send them in, I suppose. Edgar, it has been very long. Indeed. I read The Raven. It was quite beautiful. Thank you. I'm in town on a lecture tour. I thought I would say hello for old times' sake. Yes, old times. I could never forget you. I knew getting my name in print would have some use. (laughs) Yes, it was purely that. No, my father told me once I was long married and heavy with yet another child, that he burned the letters from you a long time ago. I told you I wrote. You were even better than I thought you to be when I loved you. And you didn't even read my letters. I doubt my father would like you here now. That said, he has passed on, though my brothers might have a thing or two to say. Have they passed? Only for refined gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to stay for dinner? It would be my pleasure. It was a happy reunion. But not everyone was happy about it. Mother, I cannot fathom that you've accepted an engagement to that man. It's completely improper. Your father died. He did not divorce me. Calm yourselves. But the will! I don't need your father's full estate. I can live on what's left. Only one quarter of it? That is hardly any. Edgar can provide for me. He's committed. Last week he joined the Temperance Society to prove it. He'll never drink again, all for love of me. But he's poor. What about our inheritance? You'll soon be married and have no need to worry over an inheritance. I'm half a mind to write my uncles. Anne, really. My brothers do not need to be involved in this beyond an invitation to the wedding. Mother, I do not like him. You will learn to. Even though her children openly disapproved, Elmira moved forward with her engagement to Edgar. And Edgar made plans to bring his Aunt Maria to Richmond for the wedding after doing an editing job in Philadelphia. Mr. Poe, I'd advise you to not travel if it can be avoided. It can be. I need the work. Is there anything I can do to feel better? No, simply rest. I think I shall step over to Sadler's for a few moments. Don't forget your cane. Yes, thank you, Doctor. Have a good evening. But must you go all the way to Philadelphia? Can you not stay with me? Tis only a short trip, my darling. I'll return to marry you soon. I wish you wouldn't go. I'll be fine. Famous last words. Not that those were his last words. Edgar disappeared for almost a week after that, and instead of traveling to Philadelphia, he turned up on the streets in Baltimore. Seemingly beaten and drugged, 
Po resembled a victim of shanghaiing, which was a common crime in port cities. Thugs would kidnap a sailor or seemingly able-bodied man, beat him up, drug him, and sign him up for a year of service aboard a ship. Upon sign-up, the sailor earned a bonus. But the bonus wasn't given directly to the sailor, it was given to their creditors, ideally helping them pay for clothing or other supplies before shipping out, but more likely paying off a hotel bill or a bar tab. So the thugs would pose as a creditor to take the money, and the poor man would wake up en route to Shanghai. But Poe ended up in the hospital. Had he escaped being Shanghai'd? No one. Of course, Reynolds could be on a somber moonlight pond. He was slipping toads. Mr. Poe, where was your trunk? Very wary gains. He made me. Art thou foremost below? Mr. Poe, please tell me where you left your possessions. Oh. He's been like that for days. Oh. We simply cannot find oh. out where he left his things or any information for that matter. Oh. Still affected by congestion oh. of the brain. Leave him to rest. After four days in the hospital with no improvement and no way to tell what happened to him the week before, Edgar Allan Poe passed away. His last words are rumored to be, Lord, help my poor soul. Or, He who arched the heavens and upholds the universe has his decrees legibly written upon the front lid of every human being and upon demons incarnate. Both of those sound romanticized. Many people believe the first set is more likely, but then again, according to all the accounts of incoherent rambling, who knows what the writer's last words really were. The second one sounds almost like a cipher. References to a deity, demons, heavens, decrees, and the obscure word frontlet. Well, there could be a hidden meaning, directions to finding his killer. Or it could be a dying man's cry to God to take him. But Poe loved ciphers. Were his last words a clue to the identity of his murderer? We'll talk about that next week on Unsolved Murders. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. Or through our website, parcast.com. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot A new episode of Unsolved Murders comes out every Tuesday. Let us know what you think and join the conversation on our ParCast Facebook page. You can tweet us at ParCast Network. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T Network. We thank you for listening. And hope you'll join us next Tuesday when we conclude our investigation into the murder of Edgar Allan Poe. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends. I'm Wendy McKenzie. And I'm Carter Roy. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Ron and Max Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, and written by Samantha Gurosh and Kenneth Martin. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Kenna McEnroe, Manu Narayan, Stephen Pinto, Gregory Polson, and Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>